What a powerful time of worship, amen, church? We, have, we are blessed here with an awesome, awesome worship team uh, full of crazy, talented people, um, but crazy, talented people that use it for the glory of God. So we are absolutely blessed. We're blessed to have Josh on our staff. Um, Kevin mentioned that we, we kind of have this Swiss Army thing going with our staff, but Josh is the Swiss Army knife, I would say, of our staff. He can, he can do it all. And I would say he doesn't... Uh, I don't know if there's anything that he's come across yet that he's just like, hey, guys, I don't know what's going on. But uh, he, he can do it all. He makes us better completely as a staff, as a team. So, Josh, thank you so much for doing that this morning, for leading worship and for our team uh, of, of being here, showing up week in and week out. Um, I'm so excited to be here. If you will, go ahead and find Mark 4. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 4, verses 1 through 9. Go ahead and be finding that. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Grayson Holt, and I have the privilege, the honor of serving here as the worship pastor. Uh, so if you're brand new here, uh, this is my first time, so we're, we're, we're good. We're going to get to know each other th- today, this morning. Uh, so we're good. But um, my prayer this morning, honestly, is that you don't remember who I am, is that you don't remember my name. My name's not important. Uh, but the gospel of Jesus, I hope, is what you hear this morning and is what you receive this morning. And if you remember anything, I hope that you know that Jesus is in the life-changing business. And I just want to talk about him this morning because he's changed my life. Uh, so that's, that's my introduction, is that you don't need to remember me, uh, but I hope that you hear the gospel this morning uh, accurately and that you leave here changed. Um, I want to thank Kevin for allowing me to do this, for trusting me to do this. Uh, like he said at the beginning, that we didn't really know that he was going to be here today. And everybody's been asking me, hey, are you nervous because Kevin's here? I'm like, I, I see Kevin every day. You know, that's, that's the least of my worries is that Kevin is here. And I was, I was excited that he was here this morning to, uh, to get to do this together, to get to team up. He led my grow group class this morning, so I'm thankful for that. But I do thank you, Kevin, for allowing me to do this and trusting me to do this. Um, So I'm excited today. I want to introduce our text. If you will, stand with me and let's honor the reading of God's word. Again, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And it says this, Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside him, the sea and on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables, And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seed fell into good soil. And produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. Uh, Father, my prayer this morning is that you would move me out of the way and that you would say exactly what you would have said. Father, your word is alive and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, I pray that the sword would cut deep this morning, that we would grow, that we would be challenged Father, not because of anything I've done, but only because of what your son has done for us through your word, for your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So if you've been around Westmanville Baptist any length of time, then you've realized that we are big on context here. We are all about context when it comes to scripture. We're all about uh, providing the background of everything we talk about because we believe that context is very important. We don't just want to ever pick a verse of scripture and just talk about it. We always want to give background as to what we're talking about. So that's where I'm going to start out this morning with doing is context as to what all is happening at this time. Context as to what Jesus is doing, why he's speaking like this, why he's where he is speaking like this. Um, so to start out, it says uh, that he was again teaching besides the sea. 
Now, if you look back to chapter 3, Jesus was doing that there as well. This had become a common practice. Uh, he was out in a boat in the sea preaching back towards the land. And you may ask, why in the world is he doing that? Well, uh, he is the great physician. He is the great healer. And a large crowd is following him around. And so he's probably worried about getting trampled. He's probably worried about these people just storming him. He's probably come in contact with that. In these large crowds, they just want to come up to him and touch him and be healed and not necessarily hear what he has to say. So he's, he's put himself out in the boat preaching back towards the land. But the awesome thing about this and this is only because of what God is, who God is, is that the acoustics that carry over water would have been able to reach to a large mass like what he's talking to here. This is a large crowd uh, gathered. So I have a couple pictures uh, to give you some context. I'm a visual person, so look at these with me. So that first, first picture up there, Peyton. This is the Sea of Galilee. Now this is around where Jesus is teaching, but if you look in the top left corner up there, you see the Cove of the Sower. Now, that is named for this parable right here that we're talking about. This is where Jesus is at preaching from, the cove of the sower. And what's so cool about this, uh, the second picture would be Jesus' view. So this is picture, he's out in the boat right there, and he's preaching back towards land. Look at what our God's done. That's not man-made. That is created by God, this perfect uh, amphitheater, if you will, for Jesus to teach back to the masses, back to these large crowds that are gathered here. Now, the next picture, Peyton. So this would have been the crowd's view. Now look at that. Does that not look like a perfectly designed amphitheater? And it is. It is a perfectly designed by God himself for this moment right here for Jesus to preach to the masses. So Jesus is out in the sea preaching back towards the land in a boat. His acoustics, his voice is carrying over the water. And y'all, that just gets me so excited at how God can orchestrate that from the beginning of time. Think about God designing the earth. And he said, and my son's going to speak from this, this spot right here. My son's going to get to, to preach the gospel through parables like we're going to talk about from this spot to these large crowd and masses. Now, this last picture, this is Mud Island Amphitheater in Memphis, Tennessee. That's designed by God, right? I think they stole God's design here. Go back to the third picture. All right, now go back to the fourth picture. Yeah, that's, that's an amphitheater, right? That's, that's man-made right there, but God had designed a perfect amphitheater for his son to preach the gospel from in the cove of the sower. So that's some pretty cool background there that I, I discovered this week. So the context, we've, we see where he's at. We know why he's there. We know why he's preaching from the boat. But the context of Jesus speaking in parables um, can be confusing. We can wonder why he's doing that because sometimes we study these stories. We don't necessarily understand them uh, right off. But a parable means to set alongside what that means. And the idea was not to confuse, but to make people think uh, for themselves and apply these truths that he's talking about to themselves. Now, I don't learn well by people spoon feeding me. Am I alone in that? If someone's just spoon feeding me how to do something, I'm never going to learn that. I need to mess up how to do it. I need to do it for myself. I need them to be there. I need them to kind of show me how to do it and to relate to me in a way that I can understand to do something. All right. If you just tell me how to do something, I'm going to come back with you know, 30 questions, and I'm going to have messed it up. That's how I am. So Jesus is, is relaying to them a common truth that they would be familiar with, which is farming in this day. This is a farming culture. They didn't have Winn-Dixie to go up and get all their groceries from. This, sea, this, uh, this parable of the sower, or parable of the soils, as, as it's referred to sometimes, is a way to relate to his crowd. He knew who he was speaking to, okay? So we may not necessarily be as familiar with uh, the farming side of things, as these people were, but he knew his crowd, and this was a, a truth that he could relate to them. Now, my granddad is here today, and my granddad is 83 years old, and he has been farming for about 81 and a half of those years, okay? He's been here, and I hadn't seen my grandparents since the first service, so glad to have y'all back there for the second service, but, uh, but my, my grandpa would be familiar with this, all right? This is, this is a common truth that he's done his entire life, so think about that. If you had grown up in this, and maybe some of you have, 
If you had grown up in the farming culture, in the, the planting culture, in the growing culture that this was, this would have been relating right to you. Jesus is talking to you in a way that you understand. The, the purpose of the parable is not to confuse. The purpose of the parable is to make us, to make these people think for themselves, right? Because that's how we learn is thinking for ourselves. That's how we learn is, is trying to ponder it and think for it. Jesus didn't say, you know, the, 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 everything right here. He needed these people to think for themselves. That's the way I need to think. I need to grow and think for myself. So David Guzik says this, the idea was to set a spiritual truth along a daily truth of living. I love that. So the context of the demographic is that they are a farming people. They would be very familiar uh, with, this, with this parable, what he's saying here. Um, this is very prevalent in their society. So a couple more things about the context of this. Look at verse 3, the beginning of verse 3. It says, listen. My version says, listen. And then we end in verse 9 with the word, hear. Now, listen and hear in the Greek is akuo, all right? Amen? Amen? Akuo. Uh, and this is a present active imperative. In Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, uh, this word means to attend to or consider what is or has been said to understand. Now, to take this into the Hebrew, the word in Hebrew, which was the language that preceded Aramaic. Jesus would have been teaching and talking in Aramaic, but Hebrew was the language that preceded Aramaic. Thank you, Kevin, for that background. I had to consult with him a little bit on that. Um, <laughs> But this was, he would be speaking Aramaic. So the word here is Shema. Now, in the first service, I said Shema, all right? And that's the Tanner Williams in my voice coming out. Kevin and Austin make fun of me all the time for, the, for my, my dialect, my Tanner Williams dialect. And some of you are from Tanner Williams, so thank y'all for understanding and bearing with me this morning, amen? Uh, but this is Shema, the Hebrew word here. And this word, it's interesting, it means to hear, but the same word is used is to obey, Shema means to hear, but not only to hear, to obey. It's the same word in the Hebrew. So what Jesus is saying here in verse 3, he's saying, listen. Listen to what I'm fixing to say, but not just listen to it, do it. All right? Obey what I'm fixing to say. Don't just put it in one ear and out the other, but listen and apply it. Okay? Listen and obey. And I think it's important for us to realize that's why studying the Bible is so important. We can just read through this passage and check it off on our daily reading, and I hope you're all in the daily reading, but it's important to study, to know uh, the context around this. We're huge on context uh, here at Wemo. But this word reminds me of James 1.22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. It's not enough just to hear it. We have to apply it. We have to live it out. We have to obey what God is saying. So the same way he starts this parable with listen is the same way he finishes it with hear. But not just to hear, uh, but to obey. All right. So now for the sermon. All right. So we got through all the context, everything like that. Everybody's still awake. I know it's cold outside. You're probably all warm and, and you, you know, getting comfortable. Um, but if, if you hadn't had enough coffee this morning, I've had enough for everybody in the room. You saw it in the big three. So we're good to go. We, we can get through this together. So the first point you see there on your handout is the seed along the path. Let's read that together in verse 4. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Now, before I go any farther, I'm going to get fired up, and I'm going to start talking really fast, and I'm really trying to slow down. Mr. Darrell, me and Mr. Darrell talk. He's like, hey, man, you need to slow down from the first service. But when I get fired up, I start, I start going, okay? So if you'll listen fast, I'll try to talk fast, and we'll, uh, we're not beating the Methodist to lunch. I'm sorry, but we'll, we'll, we'll be here. So the seed along the path there in verse 4, this is the people that reject the gospel completely. Let's read it again. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came uh, and devoured it. The birds want to immediately take the seed away so that it can never be rooted and be fruitful. It can never get rooted and be fruitful. Now, in this analogy, in this parable, the birds are representing Satan. 
Satan doesn't want the seed, the gospel is the seed in this story. He doesn't want the gospel to have any place in our life. He wants it to fall on hard ground and he wants to immediately take it away so that it can never be rooted and we can never be fruitful because of the gospel. So that's what represents here. The sower in the story is God. The sower in the story is Jesus. The seed is the gospel and we are the soil. All right, just to to give you some more context there. Other versions say along the wayside instead of fell along the path, along the wayside. People like the path or the wayside are hard to the gospel. You ever met anyone like that? Maybe that's you, maybe that's your testimony. Once you were hard to the gospel, Maybe that's you right now. They have no room for the seed to enter because of their hardened hearts. Yet the seed is still thrown there. I'm amazed by that because you can look at this story and before you realize the whole context behind it, you may say, that's, that's a lousy farmer. That's, a, that's a, a lousy gardener. That's being careless with the seed. You say, that, that ground right there doesn't deserve the seed. That ground right there doesn't deserve the gospel. You didn't deserve the gospel either. I didn't deserve the gospel either. I was the hard soil. I was by the wayside. So don't think for a second it's an accident that the sower still throws seed here. Amen? 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all reach repentance. God doesn't want anyone to die and go to hell. It's not God's will that anyone should perish. He doesn't, he doesn't want anyone to perish, so he throws the seed along the wayside. He throws the seed to people that we say, well, they're never going to do anything with the gospel. But that was your story, that's my story. I was the hardened ground. I was by the wayside. So don't think the sower, our Savior, made a mistake by throwing the seed there. Amen? Our second point here is the seed along uh, the rocky ground, seed on rocky ground. This is verses 5 through 6. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to maybe a little bit up north in Alabama. Now, we, ha- we say we have mountains, you know, Mount Cheha and everything, and North Alabama. Those are big hills, let's be honest. Those are just big hills that we have in North Alabama. But if you've ever been on those, uh, those hills or any other mountains in our country, you've seen, you've seen rock and you've seen maybe some moss or a thin layer of dirt that's on top of those rocks, right? You've seen that before. And there may be some little things sprouting up from that, but the root can never go deep. Why? Because the rock is there, okay? You see the thin layer of moss, maybe some rain has washed down dirt or the wind or whatever has blown dirt on this top of this rock, but it's, it's never going to have a deep root system because it can't. It's, it's rock right there. So uh, me and a couple of friends just got back from uh, a hike up in Mount Cheha, and so I, I was seeing this, and I was thinking about this along the rock, because we, honestly, we don't have rock in Mobile, Alabama, right? We have sandy beaches and, and dirt roads, uh, but, but if you've ever seen that, you've seen stuff that's on top of rock. You've seen a thin layer of soil, and that's what Jesus is saying there. These people have had a religious experience. That's your blank there under this, a religious experience. They immediately receive the seed with joy, and immediately they fall away upon testing. Immediately they get fired up about the gospel. Immediately they, you know, fill out a statement, make a statement, whatever it is, but immediately fall away upon testing. There's no root system here. These people don't bear fruit. They can't bear fruit. There's no, there's, there's no depth to their faith. There's no depth to what they've done. They just had a religious experience. Their life has not been changed. They just may have heard the gospel uh, and got excited about it, but never, never were discipled. You've been around Westmanville Baptist for any length of time. You've heard the word discipleship. We're huge on that here. 
Right? That's why we have all these groups. We don't just have all these groups to, to fill up a, a chart. We don't have all these Sunday night groups, these men's and women's groups. We don't do all that just to stay busy. We do all that because we put emphasis on discipleship because the Bible says to go therefore and make disciples. That's our goal. If you know Christ today, that's your goal. If God has come and changed your life, if there is a deep root system in your life, that's your call. To bear fruit is to spread the gospel. To bear fruit is to make disciples. But these people haven't experienced that. They haven't been discipled. They immediately receive the seed with joy and immediately fall away upon testing. When tough times come, when loss, job loss, sickness, the bank account's not looking good, immediately they fall away because there's no depth there. They've just had an experience. There's no relationship there. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I'm going to be heavy on Charles Spurgeon this morning, so y'all you know, suck it up. Uh, he said, then there are many more whose religion must be sustained by enthusiastic surroundings. They seem to have been baptized in boiling water, and unless the temperature around them is kept up to that point, they wither away. The religion that is born of mere excitement will die when the excitement is over. Now, in the first service, I shared this analogy, and Kevin has shared this before up here. Um, the baseball player and turn evangelist, Billy Sunday, was at this great crusade, and many came to know Christ. I mean, many, many came and, and made a profession. Many, many came and had a religious experience. And people came up to him afterwards, hey, you know, Pastor Sunday, are you excited about this? Or are you excited? All these people came to know Christ, and what did he say? We'll see, right? He said, we'll see, because they haven't been through testing since they made these decisions. They haven't been through the winds and the waves and the, the loss and the hurt that's coming. They haven't counted the cost yet. They haven't seen the cost yet, so we'll see. But what about that quote there from, from Spurgeon? They been, have been baptized in boiling water, and unless the temperature around them is kept at that point, they wither away. I mean, think about that from a, from a visual standpoint. When you get out of boiling water, you have no choice but to do what? Cool off, right? So we have these, these events and these whatever, these crusades or whatever. And people may have had religious experiences, but then the trials of life come. Then they face hard times, and they wither away, and they cool off because they've just been baptized in boiling water. I'll tell you this, and I said it about discipleship groups, but we don't just have these events here at Westmobile to fill a calendar, and we're not just a circus tent that you follow the circus and get that next tie. This is why we put so much emphasis, and this is why the Bible puts so much emphasis on discipleship. Not just great crusades, not just great events. that We can, we can have all the events in the world, but we put emphasis because the Bible puts emphasis, emphasis on discipleship. So this is the seed on rocky ground. It's a very thin layer of soil. There's no root system, and because there's no root system, there's never going to be any fruit. There's never going to be any change. When the trials of life comes, they're going to wither away. And then we have the third point here, the seed among the thorns. The third example, this is verse 7. It says, Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Now, that's a, that's a very, very quick uh, example here. But this right here is that there's plenty of soil. Okay, there's no lack of soil here. There's plenty of soil, but there's too much competition. Okay? Think about that. These thorns are growing this plant is growing. Maybe it's trying to develop a root system, but there's just too much competition happening. Hey, that, I've seen that in my life. I deal with that in my life. Maybe you've dealt with that in your life. The thing is, is that we can put ourselves in any of these scenarios. If you know Christ, you've seen yourself in all these scenarios. Maybe this is you today. Maybe you, one of these examples has already stuck out, and you said, you know, Grayson, I'm there right now. What a day to commit. Amen? What a cold Sunday morning, but what a day to, to mark it down, to commit to discipleship, to being discipled. That's, that's my prayer this morning um, as we continue. 
So the plenty of soil right here, but there's too much competition and the desire for other things becomes more important. Maybe these people have had, again, the religious experience. Maybe they've even gone through some trials. Maybe they've even gone through some testing and they, they you know, are committed or whatever. But then, hey, I'm doing really good at my job. Hey, my kids have, you know, 18 ball games a week. Hey, my, my spouse needs me here. Hey, I need to be involved in this. Hey, I need to do all these things. Kevin says it all the time that a good thing is a good thing until it becomes a God thing. Those, those places can never take God's place. These are all great things. Do your career. Be the best you can be. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for man. But nothing can ever take his place. We see this analogy. We taught through uh, the book Not a Fan, me and Hayden Lane did in, when we were in college group. And they give this example of a totem pole. And we, we as Christians, we, we like to do this. We like to say, well, God's at the top of my totem pole, but there's also all these other things on the pole. Christ didn't come so that we'd have a totem pole. Christ came to take over. Christ came to be God because when God's in his proper place and the only place that he deserves as the Lord of our life, everything else works its way out. When he's in his proper place, we don't have to worry about our career, our, our family. All that works its way out when he's in his proper place and he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Brother Charles used to say he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Is he that to you? Is he Lord of all in your life or is there competition? Jesus didn't come to have competition Quote my pastor here, he came to take over. He didn't come to, to, to compete against things of this world. He didn't come to compete against your family. He didn't come to compete against your job. He came to take over. And whether you recognize his lordship or not doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. He is Lord of all creation. And he doesn't need you to rec- he doesn't need you to just make him Lord. He is Lord, but you need to recognize that in your life. So he came to take over. Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Uh, says this, and I'm going to read it in the Holman Christian. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And not only to have first place in everything, God doesn't even want a second place in your life. He doesn't want there to even be a second place. He is Lord of all, and when he is worshipped and adored and put in his proper place, the only one that can can accurately be in that place, everything else works its way out. Everything else just just happens. You're going to love your spouse better. You're going to love your kids better. You're going to be better at your job when the Lord of all creation is in his proper place. Amen? So he didn't come to compete. He came to take over. And last we see here the seed in good soil in verse 8. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. I'm going to go ahead and finish it out. And he said, he who has ears to hear let him hear. Let's see that word again that we started with. Listen and hear. So other seed fell into good soil. Why is this soil good? Because it produced. Now, you can say that the, the third one produced but got choked out. That's fine. It's, it's my opinion that this is the only one that produced fruit. That's what we're here to do, church. We're not here to come and let the things of this world compete with the Lord of all We have come here to submit to him, to be discipled, 
to make disciples and to bear fruit. And if there's no fruit in your life, then obviously there's no root. There's no relationship. And again, if you, if you see yourself in any of this today, we can, we can make this happen. We can, we can talk through this. We can work through this. What a great day to surrender your life to Christ, to, to acknowledge his lordship, and to start uh, a root system. I, love, I almost pulled up a picture of this, but you see that some of those trees that have a larger root system underneath the ground than they do outside. Church, that's what we're called to be. We're called to study God's word. This is the importance of all these groups that we do, is to study God's word. Not just to read it, but to study it, to grow together, to surround yourself with people that are going to push you to grow into Christ, to grow into the likeness of him, so that our root system is deep, it's firm, and that when the storms, when the waves, when the loss, when whatever comes, you're still standing. You're still honoring the Lord. You're still making disciples. Come what may, that's our job. It's not to say, well, God, I, I can't serve you right now because I'm going through this. God, I'm going through this right now, and Lord, you be glorified because I'm going through this. You be glorified because you knew this was coming. God, you be glorified because you have prepared me for this. You've called me to this. This storm didn't take you by surprise. Lord, you know when I would fall short. You still love me. You still sent your son for me. Despite what you knew I would do, despite the storms you knew I would go through, you still sent your son. Who am I not to dive deep into God's word? Who am I not to develop a deep root system because of what he's done? Are you making much of Jesus? Does your root system, does the fruit in your life make much of Jesus? Or are you just a fan? Are you just someone that's surrounded by these thorns, that's surrounded by competition? Are you this person that's had a religious experience but doesn't have any fruit, has never, has never pursued a relationship? Are you this person that's on this hard soil that the birds have come, that Satan's come to take the seed away, that your heart is hardened to the gospel? I love what Kevin says a lot, that God's on record for how much he loves us. He went to the cross and died for you, for your sins, so that you could develop that root system, so that you could grow into the likeness of who he is, that you could put on the righteousness of God. With his arms spread on a cross, he displayed how much he loved you. So don't ever think that the sower is reckless or that the sower doesn't know what he's doing when he throws seed on hard ground. When he throws seed on ground that we think, oh, that God can never change them. Or when you look at your life and you say, well, God can never change me. God, he obviously, God does, obviously doesn't know what I've done. Yes, he did, and he still went to the cross. He knows when you would mess up. He knows when your heart would be hardened. Still he died for you. And still he throws that seed. Still he, he wants the gospel to come to you. He wants you to surrender to pursue a relationship. So this example right here in verse eight is the only soil that yields a crop. This is the only soil that produces fruit. And as Kevin says a lot, is that we, we're not here to, to judge your salvation. We're not here to judge maybe a, a decision that you made, but we are called to be fruit inspectors. And if there's no fruit of Christ in your life, if there's no change in your life, do you have that relationship? Now, Miss Kendra had an announcement in the big three about our upperclassmen Bible study. And it's at 1030 on Tuesday mornings. That's a shameless plug. But uh, it's at 1030 on Tuesday mornings. We have a good time with them. And our staff gets to rotate teaching them. And last year we went through, we're still going through a lot of the Old Testament. And I, ha I had the opportunity to teach one week. And we talked about, um, 
when the Lord's presence came down on the temple. And this was one of the few times where the Israelites did exactly what God asked them to. Hey, that's, that's you and me. We're the Israelites. We constantly don't do what we're supposed to do. But this is one of the few times where God laid out these orders. God laid out the exact way he wanted to build in the exact dimensions, everything. And they did it. And after they had done exactly what God had asked of them, the presence of the Lord came down on the temple. Now think about that. Think about you're, you're a, you know, a rogue stone builder, an Israelite stone builder, and you had a part in doing that. You had a part in the exact dimensions. You had a part in following Jesus exactly or following God's orders exactly how he had put them out. And imagine when the presence of God came down on that temple. Nothing would be the same, would it? You couldn't look at life the same after you've seen the presence, the fire, the power of Yahweh come down, right? Nothing could be the same after that. But the same God, the same power, the same spirit comes and dwells in your life when you surrender to the Lord. The same God, the same power is on display, can be on display in your life. He resides in you. That Lord, that God, that same power, if you surrender to Christ, is here. The king is in residence. So nothing can be the same. Nothing can be the same after that. After you've had an encounter with Almighty God, don't think you can live the same. Don't think you can react the same. Don't think you can treat people the same. Because we're not making much of Jesus if we've had this encounter with Almighty God. When you've seen the presence of the Lord, when you've felt the presence of the Lord in your life, and your life doesn't look any different, you haven't experienced God. That's the black and white part of it right there. You haven't experienced God because nothing can be the same after the king has taken residence. So this is the only soil that yields a crop. R.C. Sproul said this, a good crop back then was considered tenfold, but not God's. What do we see here? Look at the end. It says, and it yielded 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And keeping that in mind, these people would have been happy with a harvest of tenfold. They would have been excited. That would have been the standard, a, a great crop, tenfold crop, you know, hallelujah, but not God's crop, not what God can do. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. This is why you can't say of your life, Lord, you don't know what I've done. I can't, I can't, I can't serve you. Lord, I, I, can't, I can't show off your fruit. I can't, I can't develop a root system. No, 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 no. Because when the king comes, he changes everything. When the king comes and takes over, you're not the same person. You're a new creation. So don't limit what our God can do. There's no one too far gone. There's no one too hardened, or too hardened of a heart that God can't change them and God can't bring 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold through them. I love, Kevin, you brought up in our, our grow group class this morning. I mentioned that he taught uh, my grow group class, the young pro class. And he mentioned uh, Mordecai, what was his last name, Kevin? Mordecai and Ham. Anyone know that name, Mordecai Ham? I didn't. I didn't know that name, so you're, you're fine. Mordecai Ham. Anyone know the name Billy Graham? Come on, y'all. Anyone know the name Billy Graham? Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was the man that led Billy Graham to the Lord. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I don't know anything, in this, anything about Mordecai Ham's life. I, I didn't know his name before this morning. I don't know anything about him but 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Why? Because he threw the seed of the gospel. He spread the gospel that changed his life 
and nothing was the same, and he led Billy Graham to the Lord. So who are we to limit what God can do through us? Who are we to say, God, you don't know what I've done? Uh Uh-uh. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Y'all, the only good thing in me is Jesus. That's the only good thing. And the only good thing in you is Jesus. And I don't ever want to limit my God by saying, God, you don't know what I've done. God, you don't know where I've fallen short. Oh, Lord, you don't know what I've been through. Because he says, yes, and I designed you for that. Yes, I created you for that. I knew where you would mess up, but I still love you. I still died for you, and I still want to use you. Praise God. David Guzik says this, when the word is received as it should be, something happens. Oh, fruit is produced. And if nothing happens, then the word is not being received as it should. The gospel deserves a response. The gospel demands a response. Jesus didn't come to compete. He came to take over. So I believe that this soul or person is the only one that really has a relationship with the sower. And I know there's differing opinions on that, but I'm, I am convinced of that. This is the only one that truly has a relationship with the sower because it's the one, only one that truly produces fruit. The rest may just know about the sower. Y'all, you can know this Bible cover to cover. You can know every verse. You can have it memorized. But do you know the sower? Do you know the Savior? Have you experienced what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you experienced change in your life? It's not enough to know about him. It'll never be enough to know about him. You can be the greatest theologian on this world. You can, you can worship the Bible. You can worship these words. That's not what it's about. We're here to worship the creator of the universe who gave this instruction manual to us. It's not enough just to know about him. He didn't come to compete. He came to take over. Even good things in our life can be competition, but he didn't come to compete. And I told you I'd be heavy on Charles Spurgeon, but he said this. If you think little of what God has done for you, you will do very little for him. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you will be greatly grateful to your gracious God. I said earlier, the only good thing in me is Jesus. It's only because of his grace and his mercy that I can can open his word, I can study it, I can stand before you this morning only because of his grace and mercy. I can't do this under my own power. I don't know how to do this under my own power. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you'll be greatly grateful to your gracious God. So what about you? Do you have a notion of his mercy? Do you have a great notion of his mercy to you? And is your soul not only ready to have the seed of the gospel planted, but are you ready to bear fruit? You can know anything about Jesus on this verse. You can know everything about him. But what does your life tell about him? Is your life making much of Jesus? And if the seed of the gospel has been planted in you, then you don't have a choice but to bear fruit. If you've had an encounter with Almighty God the same way in the Old Testament and his presence has rained down in your life, you felt the Holy Spirit, you don't have a choice anymore but to bear fruit. So what are you doing? What are you doing to show off what God has done in your life? What does your life say about him? Is your life a living testimony? Aren't you glad that there's nothing we could do that God can't use us? Amen, church? There's nothing we can do. If you don't know what this means, if you don't know what any of this means that I've talked about this morning, if you don't even know what the word gospel means, come talk to us. This is a time of response because the gospel deserves a response. So if you don't know what it means to surrender your life to Christ, to recognize his lordship, come down here and talk this morning. 
I'm going to pray. When I pray and say amen, you come down here and let's talk about it. We'll have people down here. We'll have people that would be glad. It would make our day. Amen, church? It would make our day to tell you about the gospel, to tell you how Jesus has changed our life. If you have any question about baptism, if you have any question about how to become a member here at WEMO, I tell you, we're an imperfect church because we got people in it. But we're a church that's determined to spread the gospel despite our people, despite us, despite me. We're determined to spread the gospel. So why don't you stand? If you have any questions, if you have any doubt, if you don't know if that seed's been planted, if you don't know if that seed is rooted, if you don't even know what bearing fruit means, let's talk about it. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good. And Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy and forgiveness what we don't deserve. Lord, you are a perfect sower because you, your gospel is for everybody. Lord, it's your will that none should perish. Lord, the hardest of heart, the thorns, the, 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 the terrible soil, Lord, you still throw the seed. And we're called to follow your example and throw that seed as well. So Lord, if anyone under the sound of my voice doesn't know your great gospel doesn't know the life change that happens when they have an encounter with Almighty God. Lord, don't let them leave here without it. Father, we need you. We need you to, to move in this place. Father, I pray for eternal decisions this morning. Lord, not for, not for, just, not for just words, but for relationships. Not for just a little experience, Lord but for solid seed that's sown deep into a heart that can only be satisfied by you. Lord, we pray and we expect you to do mighty things. Thank you, Lord. Amen.